This episode of Epicenter Bitcoin is brought to you by Fairlay. Fairlay is a Bitcoin prediction market where you can place predictions on the likelihood of sporting events, the Bitcoin price, or current affairs. You earn money if your predictions are correct. Head over to fairlay.com slash epicenter, that's F-A-I-R-L-A-Y dot com slash epicenter, to place your first bet today. And by the Gem Social Messaging app. We believe GEMS has a real potential to bring new users into the Bitcoin ecosystem and take adoption to the next level. It's social messaging on cryptocurrency steroids. The GEMS presale is running now, and you too can benefit from becoming an early supporter. Head over to getgems.org to learn more. And by Shapeshift.io. With no account or sign-up required, it's the easiest way to buy and sell Litecoin, Dogecoin, Darkcoin, and other leading cryptocurrencies. Go to shapeshift.io to instantly convert altcoins and to discover the future of cryptocurrency exchanges. Hello, welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects and startups driving decentralization and the global cryptocurrency revolution. My name is Sebastian Couture. And my name is Pan Fabian Crane. So we're here today with uh, Daniel Kravis and uh, he is the director of research of the Nakamoto Institute. So uh, he's also a libertarian, so I'm, I'm particularly excited uh, about that aspect because, uh, you know, as we all know, there is a strong libertarian side in Bitcoin, a strong libertarian background, and we have sort of also deliberately chosen not to do an ideological show, not to do a political show, but at the same time, we totally uh, realize this is an important part of it. So I'm excited that we sort of for the first time, perhaps, have have some time to dive into a little bit of that side of Bitcoin. Uh, So thanks uh, for joining us today, Daniel. Thank you. So perhaps let's get started. Uh, Do you want to introduce yourself briefly uh, and tell us a bit about how you got into Bitcoin? Sure. Um, Well, um, I first heard about Bitcoin from Ross Ulbricht, interestingly enough. Uh, This was before he was the Dread Pirate Roberts. But I, at the time, I don't quite remember the conversation, but I probably told him it was a stupid idea. Um, so later, uh, later I, I saw Bitcoin again uh, during the, the early part of the, uh, the 2011 mania. And, um, the, you know, a, a lot of people said, oh, you know, Bitcoin is a bubble and so on. Um, but actually this... This manic behavior is really what convinced me that Bitcoin is really viable because I couldn't really understand how I could explain it without saying that that Bitcoin really could become money and, and that its its value really was based on uh, a, a network effect. Um, and this is of this. This is the the. Um, the Austrian economics theory about uh, the value of money. So that 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 observation kind of convinced me that that Bitcoin really was viable. So um, so I decided I'd better get some just in case. And um, that was a good decision. So then uh, in about 2012, that's when I sort of realized that I should be devoting myself to to Bitcoin stuff full time. And so this started out in my um, the my my university, the University of Texas at Austin, in some of our uh, our economics and politics discussion groups or student groups. I was telling people about Bitcoin and about cryptography and and the cypherpunks there. And eventually, um, some some friends and I from that group started the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute as a way of of um, uh, in, in kind of keeping the legacy of the cypherpunks alive and um, preventing the 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 anarchist side of the Bitcoin movement from being marginalized. Uh, there was quite a lot of talk around then about how you know bitcoin needs to grow up and uh, be serious and uh no no more of this embarrassing anarchist stuff right so uh we we started the the satoshi nakamoto institute in honor of 
our favorite cypherpunk, Satoshi Nakamoto. And um, we kind of have uh, been, um, we've been hosting and, and promoting a lot of the original cypherpunk writings and uh, then publishing uh, uh, articles of our own uh, on the, the, the present Bitcoin movement and uh, on, on the economics of Bitcoin and where we think Bitcoin should be going. And of course, the other the other two members of the the other two founders are Michael Goldstein, who is now the president, and uh, Pierre Rochard. Um, uh, so there there has been some uh, some controversy over whether the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute is a troll organization. Uh, we are not a troll organization, but we do believe in trolling and. Uh, so Pierre is is one of the 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 best trollers that I've ever seen. So if you want to learn about trolling, you should follow his Twitter feed. What's a troll organization? Uh, so trolling on, on online forums, like trying yeah, to start really saying that, ridiculous yeah. things to try to create consternation. Uh, there are definitely uh, a couple of things that we've published that are a little bit over the top and facetious, but. Uh, but we, we, you know, we really do believe in what we're saying. We just take sort of an irreverent attitude towards towards a, a lot of it. Yeah, I know. We will be talking about some of this stuff. Well, there is this this idea in the Bitcoin movement that um, that Bitcoin um, has an image problem, and well, you know, as I as I was saying before, like it, it needs to be more serious. Uh, we don't we don't think that so. I think that really a, a better way to promote Bitcoin is with uh, what's called counter signaling. So I think that that you it, it, a way to um, make people believe that Bitcoin is a good money is to act like you don't care whether they want it or not, because you will want it eventually. So I don't have to uh, I don't have to uh, evangelize it for you. Um, that that's kind of that's kind of the point. That's why we may seem like a troll organization to the um, to the uh, uh, the the unpracticed eye. So, can you sort of perhaps like so we can get into the Nakamoto Institute? Uh, describe uh, what is the Nakamoto Institute and what are the goals of the organization? Sure. Well. Um, well, I, I pretty much already explained that. I mean, I mean, we're basically a um, a think tank, a organization, and uh, we, we try to bridge the gap between the the cypherpunk ideas and Austrian economics ideas. Um, and uh, we we want to, to keep the the original visions of the cypherpunks alive in the Bitcoin movement and. Uh, prevent the the anarchist wing from being marginalized that's those are really the goals um uh, promote promote those kinds of ideas so how do you feel that has developed over time do you feel that is something that's happened that uh, the kind of libertarian uh, let's say factions of the bitcoin space have been sort of pushed aside uh yeah uh, that's that's true to some extent i mean i think that the the libertarian faction is alive and well, um, but it's becoming a a smaller a smaller part of uh, the the Bitcoin world. And you know, I, overall, I think that's um, it's 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 good that Bitcoin is growing and is attracting more uh, normal people. Uh, I I believe that Bitcoin will serve libertarian goals, even if. Um, it, it's not libertarians who are um, who who are developing it. Um, uh, you know, B Bitcoin puts the control in the hands of the individual. So there, um, there's an ideology uh, called crypto anarchy that, that was. Uh, Invented by the the cypherpunks, and, and it's an idea that you can you can create a society that, that 
can run independent of state control and is able to prevent itself from from being controlled by the state using cryptography uh, with um, the the devices available to us with cryptography anonymity of digital signatures and th that sort of thing um, but there's another way that you could interpret the word crypto anarchy like we sometimes say crypto fascist for somebody who is uh, apparently not a fascist, but whose individual positions uh, lead lead to fascism. So I, I would say that somebody who promotes Bitcoin and who is not an anarchist is a crypto anarchist because I, I think they are still promoting uh, promoting a more free, a less state controlled society by promoting Bitcoin. So I'd like to get into this idea that you know, libertarians are often, uh, I mean, Bitcoin is often associated to libertarian ideas. But but before we do that, um, for those who may not know, I mean, because it's definitely the case here in Europe, uh, when you talk about libertarianism, it's definitely an American idea. And a lot of people that I've talked to are not really sure, you know, what is libertarianism? One of the, the basic principles of libertarianism is what's called the non-aggression axiom, and this just means that you don't you don't initiate aggression against other people. So this is something that you know pretty much everybody understands in ordinary life. So no um, no no running up to people and mugging them, and no 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 randomly murdering people who aren't you know already attacking you. Um, and, and of course. Uh, fraud is usually understood to be a, a kind of aggression because you 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 make an exchange with somebody but they don't they don't get what what they understand they're supposed to be getting so so this is something that uh people is obvious to people in in their ordinary lives uh, the difference is that libertarians apply this to government and um we see we don't we don't think that government is a special kind of organization in any way it, it shouldn't be treated differently than someone who who starts a, a corporation or a a private club or a a mafia or or any other kind of human organization um so because a, a, a government will um, impose taxation on people um, and uh, it, it will claim the right to a share of their earnings and a, a right to impose rules upon them that these people agree to. They may have, you know, been part of an election, but they didn't individually agree to any of these things um that that so that should all be considered acts of aggression which um the the state should not be allowed to initiate on people the principle of non-aggression then uh extends to just um imposing things on on people uh yeah so when you get into the the definition of co coercion then things become kind of tricky. But what, one kind of good way of thinking about the, the libertarian world is just imagine the, the ordinary left-right spectrum in ordinary politics and then just just transpose it in into a bunch of people who all think that the, uh, this, the state needs to be drastically reduced or eradicated. And that kind of tells you about the different schools of libertarianism because we have we have like the the right libertarians and and the left libertarians um and they're they're pretty similar to to left and right in ordinary politics except they don't believe in in government solutions at at all or very little um so the the um 
and uh, this this division has a lot to do with their their views on on property rights or on the kinds of organizations that that they want to create. So so uh, a, a left libertarian would be much more interested in uh, communal property, creating co-ops, uh, that that sort of thing. Um, uh, whereas the right libertarians are much more pro uh, pro pro profit seeking organizations, pro capitalist, depending on your definition of that. I don't want to go into the definitions of capitalism, but that's sort of how you can think about libertarianism. I think. Okay. And uh, I presume you are identifying yourself more towards the the pro uh, profit side. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, as a in a practical sense, I, I'm a, I'm a practical objectivist. If if you've read Ayn Rand, I basically I, I did <laughs> as a as a practical matter. I I think that I basically uh, r run run my life like an objectivist. Although I don't really follow them on on the uh, the metaphysical uh, and. Uh, other other aspects of of objectivist thought, but um, yeah, I, I believe in uh, in in making money and um, and in private property. Now, with regards to Bitcoin and libertarianism, it seems definitely from this side of the pond. It seems when we're looking at what's going on in the U.S. and especially as a podcaster, when you look at a lot of the podcasts. Uh, the Bitcoin podcasts, a lot of them are sort of libertarian uh, leaning. Why do you think libertarians feel so attracted to Bitcoin? Well, um, around the world, money is is a government controlled. Um, well, I don't want to say industry, but it's 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 a it's a government institution. Um, most currencies around the world are issued by governments and the 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 reason that the currency works as a currency the the its its scarcity is due to the fact that the government chooses how much to issue and uh the their currencies are either like that or or they're pegged to the dollar which is you know the 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 biggest government issued currency um so this is um, this is something that that libertarians uh, aren't happy with. Um, if if you have a a government issued currency and you have legal tender laws and capital controls, which make it difficult for people to uh, to use other currencies and to make to make investments in response to uh, weakening currencies, then governments can issue more money as a way to enrich themselves. So if, if you can just create a bunch of money uh, and then spend it, it is uh, effectively that's like a tax on all wealth uh, among the the holders of this currency. So everyone, uh, so if if I print a bunch of dollars, everybody who holds dollars is ultimately a little bit poorer as a result. And uh, all, all governments that issue their own currencies do this. Ultimately, this um, this this process can have very grave consequences. It, it can lead to uh, hyperinflation. It, you know, it can impoverish a whole nation. Um, it's uh it, it's a, a very uh it's a, it's not a very uh, a good way of making money work uh so traditionally libertarians have been very pro gold based money um but gold has the problem that it is physical and it's costly to transport and protect and, and of course um uh government issued currencies are much easier they effectively they're they're digital currencies uh, they're they're we do have cash of course still but most most dollars are just numbers in a computer and uh, the only reason 
that they are scarce is that um, the the banks have to um, check in with the the Federal Reserve when they move money around, and so there is this centralized consensus process that that ensures that new new money is only created on the Federal Reserve's terms. Now, um, B- Bitcoin is is a a huge leap forward over this system. Um, it is a system that is absolutely uh, capped at a certain amount, and it is a system that allows you to um, to receive money anywhere without a bank account. Of course, send it to. Uh, it's it's like cash that can be teleported anywhere around the world. It makes uh, it makes commerce um, independent of of government oversight much, much easier. And of course, this is how we got all these new dark, dark web business models like the, uh, the Silk Road and its modern um, uh, descendants. Um, these are all very, very wonderful developments for human freedom and, uh, and human development. Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the sort of the, the logical extreme uh, one could take this and and I I did this interview uh, a very brief like ten minute interview with a guy I don't remember his name, but it, it's in one of our Amsterdam episodes, um, and he was building software to have uh, like purely decentralized government. So he was actually uh, somewhere in Central America, Honduras, I think, or something like that. And they were actually working on setting up city states there that would essentially you know, comply to these, um, let, let's put it like voluntary rules or ideas of, uh, of libertarianism. And that would also be cryptocurrency based. So it was very interesting. And I guess we may see things like that. And, and then I guess there is a, a sort of two sides that right on the one hand, you may have uh, actual governments that run like that, which are like physically located somewhere, right? They control land, etc. Or you may have these sort of uh, maybe governing-like or, or institutions that are purely digital, right, where people can just sort of opt in, opt out, go wherever they go. I mean, I think um, Ethereum, especially, um, for example, Gavin Wood, he always talks of Ethereum as crypto law, and I think that's very much this idea. So it will be very interesting, I think, to see to what extent uh, we will have cryptocurrencies sort of realize that libertarian and anarchist dream uh so i think it's very much open still but uh, it's definitely the case that it does i mean it makes a lot of sense to me why libertarians would love this perhaps let's talk a little bit about uh, you wrote an article uh, an interesting article called i think the correct strategy of bitcoin entrepreneurship uh we will link to this in the show notes as well uh but basically the idea is that and then I've talked about it in this way as well. That you can think of Bitcoin, and then I think David Johnson talked about it in in the podcast we did with him. Uh, is you can think of Bitcoin as a sort of decentralized corporation, and Bitcoins um, representing shares of that corporation. So if Bitcoin does well, then you know your shares increase in value. Uh, and you wrote an interesting article on how that sort of should affect the choices and decisions people make in building Bitcoin businesses. Uh, can you run us uh, a little bit through uh, what your thoughts are on this topic? Yeah. Well, so first of all, let me just say that the title is a little bit facetious because, you know, there there is never uh, one objectively correct strategy of entrepreneurship. But, um, I, I, you know, I wanted to be provocative. And I, I tried to argue that, the, the you know, of course, Bitcoin changes all the rules about everything. Um, but this this is something that I think some way that Bitcoin kind of changes the rules that people haven't quite um, got up, up to speed on. So um, the um, the idea is that if you are a Bitcoin startup, it is uh, your 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 growth is kind of capped by excuse me, by the Bitcoin network itself. So you, you can't have 
more you, you can't have a larger user base than people who own bitcoins and and furthermore uh bitcoin can live without you so you're you're more you're a more a riskier investment than bitcoin is also like if bitcoin fails then you fail um but if you fail then bitcoin doesn't necessarily fail so bitcoin startups are um as a general rule uh they they have less upside than bitcoin and greater downside than bitcoin so un unless you 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 know you find some some real ex exception some you know some absolutely phenomenal startup it generally it it makes much more sense to buy bitcoins than to invest in startups and this is something that had been uh bugging some of me and my my colleagues for some time is all of these vcs pumping money into bitcoin startups which you know may may not end up actually accomplishing anything rather than just buying the bitcoins themselves well they're not allowed to buy the bitcoins i know that's that is that's sort of the problem right there <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, they need to they need to change how how they do things. So so we came up with the term a um, a uh, a speculative philanthropist for what we want to have in the Bitcoin world, and, and that's someone who um, invests in bitcoins and then uh, do donates some of their time and money to projects that will improve. The Bitcoin network, um, and you can you can model a startup based on this idea too. So you you create an organization that just holds bitcoins, and you you try to try not to spend too much of it, and you try to improve the Bitcoin network so that your holdings go up. So it's not necessarily the service that you provide which has to make a profit. It's really um, the service you provide has to make the Bitcoin network as a whole attract more people. Yeah. When when the overall economy, or or when some part of the economy is growing so rapidly, um, it, there there's a point where it kind of makes more sense to just donate to the economy than to try to, um, you know, try to cr create your own little niche in it. If I, if I may jump in, I think I see like two problems with this argument. So, so the first one is that this only seems to work if, like, let's say, for example, an organization or a startup is able to become a significant Bitcoin holder at the same time, right? If all you have to invest or if most of what you have to invest is time and effort, then, you know, you can invest that time and effort. But if your project doesn't, you know, doesn't generate profits, you may not profit very much from the increase in the Bitcoin price. Uh, so that's number one problem. And the, the second problem is, of course, you have a free rider problem, is that, you know, you can presume that any one project is not going to dramatically change the course of Bitcoin. So you're probably better off, uh, you know, doing something that just seeks to, you know, maximize your own profits and hope that other people undertake those kind of, you know, speculative uh, philanthropist uh, projects and that, that then you sort of profit from, from their projects without having to do any of the work. Sure. Um, well, so if, if you don't, if you're not a big Bitcoin holder what i would say is your goal should be to get as many bitcoins as possible uh so trying to get a high paying job which maybe doesn't involve bitcoin at all and then try to keep buying the the bitcoins or um you, you know if if you are starting a, a startup that this should be one of your one of your goals for what what to do with um in money that is invested in you is to try to get large Bitcoin holdings. And as for the, the free rider problem, um, 
I would say that anybody who is uh, investing in Bitcoin is contributing to the overall Bitcoin economy. So I don't think there, there necessarily is a, a free rider problem here. If, if, um, if, if all you want to do is just buy a bunch of Bitcoins and take a nap, uh, you know, I would still say that that is a, a worthwhile thing to be doing. Right, but it's something very different from uh, buying a bunch of Bitcoin and then building an open source wallet that will be used by thousands of people. Sure, but I mean, I, I think that uh, the the empirical evidence shows that people are willing to put plenty of time and effort into creating open source projects such as uh, wallets. Uh, so another good example of this, I think, is is the company BitPay. So they provide a lot of free services, and they are also a large Bitcoin holder. And uh, my, my understanding is that they, they've actually been following this very strategy since before I wrote the article. So uh, good for them. Do you think this is going to uh, continue to be a strategy that's viable, let's say, two years down the line, or like, like if Bitcoin is at $10,000 or... Or do you think if at, at a certain stage where just the upside is not that big anymore, that then this strategy will not be viable anymore? Uh, right. Yeah. It, eventually, uh, Bitcoin will not grow anymore. And then, then, then this strategy will no longer be viable. Um, at, at that point, um, you know, the B Bitcoin companies you know they'll they'll be providing financial services and, and they'll they'll have to earn a bitcoin profit off of it but i as for the two year two years that you mentioned i mean i really can't say uh bitcoin has been showing on average extraordinarily rapid growth since trading began um so um and uh you know it's hard to say when that'll end, but you know, I, I think that will. I, I think that it will continue at least in the immediate future. So um, now let let's talk about where 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 Bitcoin goes. Just uh, b before we do that, uh, we'd like to just talk about a sponsor real quick because. Uh, we are running uh, 30 minutes into the episode, uh, so I have, to, I have to interrupt you to uh, talk about our sponsor, which is uh, Shapeshift. So, have you ever tried to buy some altcoins? Um, Brian, when was the last time you tried to buy altcoins? You know, uh, good that you're asking me because I actually just used Shapeshift like yesterday or the day before. Yeah. Because uh, I have this app called Doge Rain, which is really cool, by the way. So, you can sort of make it rain Dogecoin, but... I wanted to put some Dogecoins on there. So you basically, you know, I, I could take, you know, five milli Bitcoin and uh, send it to Shapeshift and they would put me the Dogecoin straight into the wallet. It took like less than a minute. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Shapeshift is the easiest way to buy and sell altcoins. They support Litecoin, uh, Purecoin, Darkcoin, Dogecoin, Namecoin, Feathercoin, Blackcoin, and they're adding new coins all the time. Uh, it's not an exchange. It's really just a service where you can easily change Bitcoin into any of these altcoins and vice versa. And and all these, I mean, you can change pure coin into dark coin or Dogecoin or whatever. So the best thing about ShapeShift that is that you don't even need an account. Uh, there's no need to give them any personal information. Uh, they don't even want your email address. And trading with ShapeShift, like Brian just said, takes just a few minutes not hours, which is what it would usually take you to go on an exchange and create an account and give them your ID and all that stuff in order to be able to buy or sell altcoins. So let's just walk through how this works. So you go to their website and there they've got a, a conversion tool. It looks a lot like a con currency conversion tool if you've ever used one. On one side, you have the cur currency you want to convert. And on the other side, you have the currency you want to convert to. So let's say we want to convert Bitcoin into Dogecoin. We'd select uh, Bitcoin on one side, Dogecoin on the other side, and you enter the amount of Doge that you want, for instance, and then you hit start. And then all you need to do is send a specific amount of Bitcoin that they will um, calculate for you to an address, and you hit go, and that's it. And in, in how long did it take you, Brian? Like 30 seconds? 
to get Dogecoin in your wallet? Yeah, I mean, I think if you have the, uh, the receiving address ready, it takes you like 30 seconds. Right. So it's super fast. It's super easy. It's the fastest and easiest way to buy and sell altcoins. No accounts needed. No personal information is required. Uh, they're doing zero confirmation uh, transactions now. So you don't even have to wait for one confirmation. You send the Bitcoins or any other currency and, and straight away. That's it. So that's that's one of the reasons why it's so fast is they do zero confirmations. So your privacy is protected uh, and you only uh, pay a small fee, which is calculated up front and it's it's uh, it's included in the in, in, in the amount of Bitcoins that you send them. So head over to shapeshift.io, give it a try and tell us what you think. And uh, we'd like to thank Shapeshift for their support of Epicenter Bitcoin. So uh, Daniel, you were going to start about uh, start talking about the future of Bitcoin. Was that correct? Because that's a one big topic we have coming up. So if you sort of launch into it straight away, then that's fantastic, of course. Yeah, sure. So, um, so well, you mentioned you know maybe Bitcoin hits ten thousand dollars or something, um, or hundred. So, of course. <laughs> yeah. Oh, whatever. Any. Yeah. Uh, but so, really, the um, the 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 reason that uh, money is valuable, whatever whatever good we use as money, is just the fact that. Everybody else demands it. I, everybody. So say say you you go on a, a desert island. Well, you're you're shipwrecked, right? And the the people on this island all use uh, beads as money, uh, things that would be completely worthless in in the, you know in your native land because they could be easily mass produced or something, but. On this this island, they don't have the technology for that. Um, these these beads seem like a worthless, you know, a thing to you um, because you you know of the technology that could could easily mass produce them. But because you're you're trapped on this island, and because everybody else on the island wants to uh, to grab lots of these beads as much as they can, it's rational for you to want some as well because you know that if you have some, it'll be easy for you to spend them um, to get whatever you need from everybody else. So the, the reason that you want the money on this island is the fact that everybody else wants it. Uh, so there is sort of a, a, an inherent network effect with uh, the use of money in in an economy, uh, if if we have a good that is valuable just because everybody else wants it, and it is competing with another good uh, that is valuable for the same reason, uh, there's sort of a there's an inherent uh, conflict there. Uh, anybody who switches over well so between these two currencies one of them will have the slightly bigger network than the other so anyone who moves from the smaller network to the bigger network will be slightly advantaged over how they were before because there will be just that much more opportunity in the slightly bigger network um but as a result of having moved moved to the bigger network they've they've increased that network and they've decreased the 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 currency network that they were in originally so just by switching from one to the other they've accentuated the difference between these two networks and they've made the smaller network even smaller and the bigger one even bigger which um which accentuates the the value difference between the two currencies as well it, it makes it even uh a, a, it makes it an even better opportunity for people to leave the smaller network into the larger one and there there isn't any end to this process the the smaller the a currency's network is the less useful it is the the less opportunity it presents to people who are, are holding it and the, the less reason there is 
to want to collect it. Um, so there's this tendency between currencies, and not just not just between Bitcoin and altcoin, but altcoins. But for all currencies, there's a tendency for one to emerge and completely uh, dominate and, and destroy the rest. Um, we haven't. So um, now pe people sometimes say, you know, empirically, we there are lots and lots of different currencies around. There's dollars and euros and yuan and so on. But this is a relatively recent development in world history. In uh, the 19th century and early 20th centuries, currencies were almost always backed by gold, which effectively means that there was one currency, and that was gold. Um, it was only in the mid-20th century that we started seeing tons and tons of national currencies that are fiat and not not backed by gold that that's where this proliferation arose and, and since then we have actually seen fewer and fewer currencies more more and more currencies that were originally national fiat currencies become a peg to the dollar which effectively makes them just um, not 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 really a currency anymore. It, 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 it they're just like another name for dollars. Um, and we've also seen um, that all you know, or many of the national currencies of Europe uh, come together into the euro. Uh, and of course, that's not a market process doing this, but it is the recognition that uh, standardizing to one form of money is going to be beneficial for for everyone involved um, now we haven't seen a rapid uh, rapid kind of crash that just wastes a bunch of currencies and leaves one in its place because all all of these currencies are um, managed by central banks and these banks kind of collude to prevent one from uh, from gaining too much over the others. Um, now, in the Bitcoin world, there isn't there isn't anything like the, the central banks, so there isn't there isn't any in any countervailing tendency tendency uh, to um, to uh, prop up uh, a, an unstable equilibrium between any of these currencies. So I, I'm predicting that, that we will uh, fairly rapidly see uh, the, the altcoins go down to basically nothing and, uh, you know, Bitcoin continue to uh, be the dominant one. And, and of course, if, if Bitcoin is going to succeed, it also has to succeed against all the other national currencies as well. So, I, I mean, I think that what we should be working toward is one world currency, which is Bitcoin. Now, do you, uh, this this argument that you make that altcoins would it would ultimately disappear? Are you make, basing that argument only on altcoins that have a, uh, a unique blockchain, or or would that also apply to some of these app coins? And maybe we can talk about app coins because you wrote an interesting article about how you feel uh, that can't um, app coins are not a, generally a good idea. Would that also apply to app coins that are backed by Bitcoin, so uh, counterparty-based uh, apps, etc.? Because that's a lot. I mean, that that's very similar to what you're saying in the sense that, um, uh, much like a lot of, like you mentioned, currencies were backed by gold, and then now uh, some currencies are back uh, pegged to the dollar. It's it's very similar, right? I mean, counterparty and app coins are pegged to Bitcoin in, in a way. I don't know enough about counterparty to be able to talk about that that thing specifically um i know that it operates on the bitcoin blockchain but that doesn't mean that it is actually backed by bitcoin if it, if it were backed by bitcoin that would mean that there would have to be some organization that was holding a bunch of bitcoins and which promised to give you a certain set some of bitcoin when you gave it a a counterparty coin um 
And I, I don't, I, I don't think that there's anything like that. Although, you know, for all I know, there could be. Uh, if if there is, a, you know, I apologize no, no, for right. giving the wrong impression. But do you, you actually, to be backed by Bitcoin, you actually need to have somebody holding Bitcoins and guaranteeing to yeah. um, provide them, you know, yeah. when, on request. Um, I guess there's a distinction by pegged and backed by the network in, in, in the sense that the network effect is there. I, I mean, uh, yeah, CandlePuddy is neither of those, right? Uh, all, all it does is essentially uses Bitcoin blockchain to encode data in that, and then it has its own interpretation of data, which is used to, for example, issue other currencies or do other things. But uh, so I, I don't know if this is your um, f sort of field of expertise, but do you really believe that Bitcoin? especially when we start talking about maybe non-monetary uh, uses of the blockchain, etc. Uh, do you believe that the Bitcoin blockchain will be able to accommodate those and handle those and perhaps also scale with uh, a demand that could very easily uh, become perhaps even many times larger than uh, credit card networks today, especially if we start talking about non-monetary transactions? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a, that's a very difficult software engineering question. And, you know, I certainly can't say for certain that Bitcoin will, uh, well, let me say, I mean, I think it certainly, theoretically, I think Bitcoin can be the world's money. Uh, it, 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 it is a question how, how rapidly um, technology will develop to enable this to really work. Uh, I don't think that Bitcoin could immediately uh, become the world's money now. There, there would need to be quite a lot of upgrades to the underlying software. And uh, I, I think we need to assume that uh, the uh, data storage capacity is going to continue to get cheaper and the internet is going to continue to get faster and faster. But if uh, what I do say is that if you believe it in Bitcoin, that 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 should be your end game. Is Bitcoin is the world's money? Um, and if 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 that isn't, then uh, maybe you should. If you don't think that's possible, then then maybe you should rethink your involvement in Bitcoin. Well, I want to come back to this in just a second uh, with some other uh, perspective on this. But before we do that, which is extremely timely also to our discussion, uh, we would like to uh, run a second ad for a second sponsor, Gems. And uh, Gems is basically, uh, well, one of the things they were doing. They're building a social messaging app and they are also issuing their own uh, currency. So one could call it an app coin, I guess. Um, and uh, so here's how this works. So Gems is, yeah, it's a social messaging app, a lot like WhatsApp. It's also a Bitcoin wallet. And they, they use their own cryptocurrency, Gems, uh, to basically incentivize behavior on that, uh, like, of the users of the app and also to start off and sort of bring new people into the cryptocurrency ecosystem. So, uh, for example, if you have that app, and then you invite new people to it, you will receive gems, right? So if you think of WhatsApp that went to this huge, um, huge user base, they didn't incentivize actually financially the people to do that. And gems does, so that's cool. And of course, people just get used to uh, using cryptocurrency straight away. Sebastian, do you want this app? I can't wait to use this. <laughs> I mean, for for one, for one, because it, I believe that uh, Gems has a real uh, there's real value in what it offers in terms of functionality, uh, being able to have all your conversations encrypted, but also just the uh, I'm I'm very interested in the model that they're trying to build where people get to pay you for your attention, and this is what we've wanted so for so long. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I really believe in this project, and I think, it, it, like you said, it's very timely with this discussion, and we'll be able to uh, to uh, get, get back into this uh, and, and sort of debate whether or not this is a good idea or not. 
And and of course, another uh, side of this is that they are pre-selling that uh, currency, which is sort of also why we are running this ad. So if you want to uh, sort of participate in that and have a stake in that project, you can do so now. Uh, and the pre-sales run by Coinify. So you can go to coinify.com. And uh, so that's Coinify with a K. And uh, you can um, participate in that pre-sale now. And, and that's actually another interesting use case when we talk about app coins is the funding model, right? Because you are able to essentially sort of bootstrap these uh, these projects and, and achieve a, do that in a crowdfunding way, which you can't really do otherwise, right? So if you do, like, let's say they did gems and... They, 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 they didn't use their own currency, but they used Bitcoin. Now, even if, uh, that, uh, you know, Daniel, you're right, and Bitcoin's going to be the one currency, this wouldn't help them in funding all the development, and it wouldn't help them in giving uh, users a stake in the project. So I think that's a, it's a sort of an interesting dynamic that we have. Of course, nobody thinks that James is going to be the world currency. That's not going to happen, right? It has a very specific niche use case, although that could be a very significant one. Um... So coming back to our episode, um, I would, if we talk about, so there's one thing uh, I've been thinking about recently, um, and I've, and that's the question is to, to what extent are you right? You know, to what extent will we have Bitcoin becoming the world currency? I mean, I certainly ho- uh, hope so. It would be, uh, it would be great, right? Um, but I'm not so sure. And uh, one reason, and I think it's quite an interesting one, is the question of, you know, how good of a currency is it actually? So what if you, for example, could have a much more stable cryptocurrency? Because uh, volatility does seem to be an issue for a lot of people. Um, And I know Vitalik Buterin has talked about this and also Robert Sams, and we're actually going to have both of those guys on over the coming weeks. um, so, what are your thoughts on this? Like, do you think Bitcoin will ever be stable enough, for example, to be a unit of account? And and I made the example, I think, in a previous episode, where you know, let's think ahead twenty years or however long it takes, and let's think uh, someone has to enter a life insurance contract now and say for the next fifteen years, I'm going to pay a certain amount. Uh, of Bitcoin or some, or let's say Bitcoin, and then I'm going to get a, a payment out. Of course, that only makes sense if you can have a realistic expectation of what's the real value of those payments. Uh, do you think we'll ever get to the stage uh, where Bitcoin will have such a, a stability that you can enter these kind of legal contracts uh, confidently and without running big economic risks? Sure. Well, so... Um, e- if, if if Bitcoin does take over the world, then it will be stable. But Bitcoin will never be stable priced in other currencies. It, it will it can only be stable if the other currencies are eliminated um, be, because right. of this network effect. Um, so now th- there isn't necessarily any inherent value in having a stable price. Uh, if the if the economy is changing rapidly, then nothing is the, the, then nothing you know things shouldn't be stable. The, the, a, an, an instability in prices reflects rapid changes in the underlying availability of goods. But you need stability to end contracts, no? Well, so I'm 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 getting to that. So so I would say that okay. the the instability of Bitcoin is due to the fact that people are rapidly learning about its superiority as a currency. Um, and I, I would say that if we are in an economy that is switching from one currency to another, then it's just a bad idea to. To give out loans like that that's just not something that you could do very easily under those circumstances um you know that's 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 just sort of the underlying reality of switching from one currency to another during that transition period uh you know i i wouldn't i wouldn't give out any loans if i could um 
and, and I apologize if I haven't intervened very much. I'm not feeling very well, actually. Uh, but I just wanted to, I, I, although I agree with, I think I agree with the economic reasons why um, having multiple currencies is difficult or perhaps impossible. I, I really don't agree with this idea that Bitcoin will be the world currency. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the primary reasons, and I think, one of the reasons why we we need altcoins is that Bitcoin just has terrible marketing. Like, there's nobody. I mean, Bitcoin as a product is is just a horrible thing. You know, I mean, I believe it is. It, I mean, clearly, Dogecoin is much superior in terms of the marketing, right? So no, but what I <laughs> what I mean is what I mean is, and and not to. Uh, I mean, we are sponsoring gems, but I also really believe in that sort of product because I think that it brings real functionality to to uh, cryptocurrency that people will use and value. And I really see a future where, perhaps not gems, but you know, maybe some other app down uh, down the road and a few years from now gains like a massive amount of users. And, you know, you walk into a bar and they accept that coin because it's just like, you know, if Facebook started uh, issuing money, you, you could expect that a lot of places would start using Facebook cash, right? Or accepting Facebook cash. Oh, yeah. I, I, I really think this is how we're going to get to the adoption of cryptocurrency is through apps. And these are the guys doing the work and the marketing and, and you know, bringing people in. Um, I don't think that's happening with Bitcoin. I mean, if I, if I may uh, sort of, from my perspective, I, I don't see that happening at all. Right? I mean, I, I think those currencies will happen and, and those all those coins that are sort of app-specific or function-specific uh, will emerge. But those, you know, they will never be money, sort of universal money. They will be money in a very specific context. Not, not, not universal money, but I think we're going towards a diversification of money. Right. Yeah, the interesting other perspective, right, is maybe you don't need one currency, right? Maybe if you can have instant conversion everywhere that costs you a fraction of a percent, perhaps, let's say, say 0.1% or something, and I, as a bar owner, can say, I take cryptocurrency. Like, let's say something like Shapeshift is in the middle, and you can just pay with whatever cryptocurrency you want, and the person gets, you know, Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency they want. Um at least from a transaction standpoint, I don't see a problem with there being tons of them. Of course, uh, the, the face flip side of that is when you talk about a store of value, then that becomes a different matter, right? Because that is definitely instable. You know, when you say like, where do I keep my money in? If this composition of which currency is attractive and not gaining in value and not is constantly changing, well, th that is a problem. Okay, well, you you both said a lot of different things there. I'll try to uh, I'll try to respond to all of them. But if I forget something, uh, you know, um, uh, I can't remember everything. So so first of all, um, you you shouldn't think of Bitcoin as as a product. Uh, Bitcoin is an investment, and the 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 driver of adoption is um, is is not. It shouldn't be thought of as, as what, what you can immediately do with Bitcoin. It's, well, I, I have an article called um, how, how to Market Bitcoin. And this is where I uh, talk about the idea of, of counter-signaling as marketing. I don't think I use the word counter-signaling. But, you know, you try, try to market Bitcoin by, by showing that you don't care whether other people get it because – um, that that uh, communicates your self-assurance that they are going to want Bitcoin in the future at some point, um, whether or not they, they get it right now. Um, so uh, let's see. Now, this idea about instant conversion between currencies, that I, I would say that this means that one currency will win out much more quickly than if there were transaction costs from between moving from one currency to another, uh, because that makes it easier to switch from the, the smaller network to the bigger network. Um, and and um, well, finally, let's let's talk about this idea of a, a store of value. 
uh, I would say that a, a store of value is not the the empirical fact of a good maintaining the same price over a long period of time. The the cause that makes a good into a store of value is um, and and a difficulty of reproducing it and a difficulty of uh, counterfeiting it or ease of, of verifying that it's real. So like most, most of what people use gold for is just storing it. I mean, gold does have industrial uses, but because uh, it's, you know, relatively, it's, it's relatively easy to, to verify that a, a coin is real gold and um, and it's very difficult to increase the world supply of gold, that's what allows gold to act as a store of value. And Bitcoin has the same qualities, but even more so. So, I, you know, I would say that the fact that its price is volatile is doesn't mean that it's not a store of value. I would say that the fact that it um, is not reproducible and uh, that um, that it's easily verifiable is what makes it a store of value. Now, of course, Bit Bitcoin is different from gold because it depends on, on branding. So it, it, in the sense that people have to know that, that Bitcoin is the, the biggest the biggest currency, and it's the one that matters. And um, if it, if Bitcoin were perceived as just another altcoin, then then it wouldn't have it wouldn't have that that the store of value properties because it wouldn't have a a brand. Um, whereas gold doesn't require that. Cool. Well, I think we're sort of at the end of our show. But uh, maybe one last thing, and uh, you're not really going to have time to go into depth, so you just have to answer, Daniel. Uh, I apologize beforehand. But do you, do you think Bitcoin will become, you know, there are generally three things thought of as, as money, right? Three uh, sort of functions that money can have. So that one is a medium of exchange. So it's something that's used to facilitate uh, transactions. Second is a store of value, which we just talked about. And third is uh, a unit of account. Do you believe Bitcoin will achieve all three? And what order? Uh, so just very briefly, uh, if you can do that, can you give us an answer to that? Sure. I mean, I, I think that it already is all three. And I've, I've written an article. We, we don't have time to go into units of account, but I've written an article called Bitcoin is the best unit of account. And um, uh, you should you should go and read that one. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> no, that's a good answer. We'll uh, we'll add those to the show notes. So uh, yeah, we are at the end of our episode. Thanks so much uh, for joining us, Daniel. Yeah, if people want to check out the Nakamoto Institute, is it what's the URL? Uh, NakamotoInstitute.org. Okay, cool. So uh, and you also have a podcast. No, you started a podcast called what was it again? Texas. Texas. Well, Texas Bitcoin Frontier. That's that's the organization that started this. So we have a a, a series on the history. Uh, uh, let's see, the, the theory of money and the history and prehistory of Bitcoin. Well, now I don't remember exactly what it, what it's called, but well, you can you can go search for search for those terms and find it. We're going to. We're going to start this this Monday with a, a new format, but we're not entirely certain what what that's going to be yet. Okay, perfect. And you can find that on uh, on YouTube. It's a hangout as well, I believe. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So thanks so much. We're we're going to be back next week. Uh, we will have a hangout with uh, Alan Scott. He's the chief editor of Coin Telegraph. Actually, I'm not going to be here because I'm going to be traveling to go back to Berlin to some uh, Bitcoin workshop on starting a cryptocurrency bank. So I'll be on the plane, but Sebastian will be doing it. Yeah, Brian, do you care to tell us about the about your setting? <laughs> what what's this in the background? Yeah, so I'm in the in the mountains in Switzerland right now. It's yeah. it's very nice. So, which you can <laughs> you uh, sort of let those candles <laughs> behind you. Nice, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Sebastian, you wanted to talk briefly. Uh, well, let me mention it. So we're hiring a graphic designer 
uh, mainly I think to do uh, album artwork and and maybe some other things. So you know if if that's you, uh, please get in touch. Of course, we pay in Bitcoin. Right. So we're looking for uh, we're specifically we're looking for actually two types of uh, profiles. Uh, we're looking for a graphic designer, but we're also looking for a a, a web designer developer. So the graphic designer uh, we're looking for to do our uh, episode covers. So every time we publish an episode, we do a little uh we do a little uh episode cover you know kind of an album art and i've been doing that and i've been doing it horribly in my opinion so i we're looking for someone who can do that for us professionally and sort of design uh those covers uh, for every episode and we're also looking for somebody who can work um with us on our new website that we're building so yeah we're looking for a uh Web designer slash front end developer. Also, if you have any experience with WordPress, uh, you can email me directly at uh, Sebastian at epicenterbitcoin.com. That's with an E N at the end S E B A S T I E N. And uh, oh, by the way, the hangout with Alan Scott will be next Sunday uh, at 1800 UTC. That's 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. So there you go. Yeah. Well, um, thanks so much for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at EpicenterBTC or leave us an iTunes review if you piece the show, uh, which uh, helps new people find us. And we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.